Well, uh, good morning. It is a um, joy to be back with you again this morning as we look at this uh, text from, from Luke chapter 2. Um, and it's interesting as we, you know, here we are coming to the end of 2021. We got through the Delta variant and things in some ways were looking up and then all of a sudden now we have this, uh, this Omicron uh, variant and I think it's hard for a lot of us to find peace when the world feels so unsettled. It's often the case that our joy becomes dependent on the lack of adversity, the lack of struggle, the lack of pain, the lack of suffering. But I struggle a little bit with this idea, at least uh, for the Christian, what are we saying if our level of joy is dependent on how easy life is, uh, how pain-free life could be, does it maybe mean that we have a misunderstanding of this concept of joy? And if our joy as Christians is based on circumstances, how is that different from the rest of the world and how the rest of the world sees joy? And so I want to uh, reflect this morning just a bit on how we are to understand and experience this idea, this concept of joy that we see here even in Luke 2. The text was already read, but I want to read again verse 10 and then pray as we, as we look. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all of the people. Let's pray. Father, as we consider this concept of joy, this idea of joy, this joy that is announced, this good news of great joy, give us eyes to see exactly what that means and then ears to take it in and to let it go deep into our hearts and into our minds. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this passage is one of the more well-known sections of the birth narrative of Jesus. Verse 14 alone shows up everywhere. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now one place in particular that this shows up is uh, the well-known carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, which is based on the poem called Christmas Bells by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And I know some of you are, are familiar with the story behind the poem, but I want to just take a minute to build some context for why I think it's important to our text here this morning. Two years before Longfellow wrote this poem, his wife was sealing envelopes with hot wax, which required fire, and in that process, her dress uh, caught on fire. And Longfellow rushed over there to try to put it out and in the process was greatly burned himself and he couldn't even attend the funeral of his wife who had passed away the next day. One year after uh, that event, he, he wrote in a journal, a Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. One year later, Middle of the Civil War, 1863, just a few weeks before 
he writes this poem. He had received news that his son Charles uh, in the um, Battle of the Mine Run campaign had taken a bullet through the back um, out his shoulder. And uh, fortunately, he was able to make it home, but they didn't know whether or not he was going to make it or not. So here uh, Longfellow is, December 25th, 1863, recently widowed with five children. The oldest may not make it. And he hears the Christmas bells playing and peace on earth uh, among men being said. And so he sits and he writes this powerful poem that I'm going to read briefly. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Listen again to the next to last line. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. That was a time with a lot of despair, and many of us are living in that, and if we are not, we have friends and family that are living in despair. And So how can we as God's people cling to this great joy that the angel had announced would be present, would be coming, that was to be brought to humanity? Maybe a better way of asking this question is, how can the birth of God's Son be the news of great joy when there is so much sadness. And again, if that is not your present story, then would you join with those around you who are living in sadness? Join with the church around the world, many of which are experiencing great sadness. And so two things I want to do this morning. First is look at why Jesus' coming actually is great joy. And then secondly, I want to look at how we evade that joy and how to recover it. So here you have the shepherds, right? They're in the dead of night. They're tending the flock and an angel of the Lord shows up and the glory of the Lord shone around them, we read. No doubt sort of capturing that prophecy that was already read this morning in Isaiah 9 that the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And then the angel shares again this in verse 10. This is the third time we're reading it. Which is good, which is fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. But why? 
Why is it great joy? Well, the Bible makes clear that experiencing great joy is because darkness is interrupted. Death is overcome. Sadness is comforted. Sin is defeated. For the Christian, sadness should uh, amplify joy because Jesus is the promise of its ultimate undoing. And these shepherds knew that, right? They were living in the midst of this oppression of the Jewish people by the Roman Empire. But look, the reason that the coming of Jesus is such great joy for us in 2021 is the same reason why it was good news of great joy back then, 2000 years ago, because it was God who was entering into the messiness and the brokenness and the sadness and the fracturing of the world. It is the reason why joy is a foundational disposition of someone who is united to Jesus through faith. Why it is a foundational disposition of a Christian. That's why Paul writes in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Again, I will say rejoice. Coming from the pen of a man who is sitting in a prison writing those words to a church that is struggling. But what even is it? What what is joy? Because I think a lot of times it's one of these words that uh, is hard to grasp, right? It's, It's like the concept of love. You think you may understand it, you know, it's like mercury where if you were to put your finger on it, it would jump away. We have a hard time capturing what exactly it is. And I could spend a lot of time uh, sort of unpacking this concept as we look at it from Genesis to Revelation. But I want to focus actually this morning on one of its principal facets, one of its primary facets, which is that joy is rest. Joy is the idea of Sabbath. It is, in a lot of ways, the emotion that is experienced when you sort of take that deep breath and exhale, and you realize that you're not living in fear of whatever it is going on in your life. Fear of the lack of control, right? Fear of what's going to happen to a family member or to your job or uh, to sickness. It's the ability just to to breathe and to be at peace. Joy is the experience of resting in Jesus Christ regardless of what one has gone through or what one is going through or what one will go through. It is the experience of Matthew 11 when Jesus says his famous words. And I want you to realize that when Jesus invites someone to come to him, what is it that he is actually offering to them? Listen, come to me, all you who are weary or all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Now, there's no doubt that Jesus is offering to give joy. But the word that he uses in inviting people to come to him and what they will experience is come to me and I will give you rest. And he goes on, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you weary 
And are you heavy laden? Jesus invites us to experience joy by taking that weariness to him and giving us rest. St. Augustine, one of the most important, if not the most important theologians of the history of the church, uh, lived in the 4th century. And he, he wrote a lot about this linking between joy and rest. And in a recent book about him, the philosopher, Christian philosopher James K. Smith uh, writes this about how Augustine thinks about joy. I want to read it to you. He writes, For Augustine, we are made for joy. Joy is another name for the rest that we find when we give ourselves over to the one who, for the joy that was set before him, gave himself for us. We find joy when we look for the satisfaction of our hungers in the triune God who will never leave us or forsake us. When we find our enjoyment in an immortal God whose love is unfailing, that is rightly ordered love and it is rightly ordered worship. So why is it so hard to get a hold of? Why is it difficult for a lot of us to say that I am experiencing joy? Well, I want to in some ways end our time by looking at a few reasons, four reasons actually, uh, that we evade joy and how we can grab onto it. How we evade joy and what we can do about it. Number one. It is because we have conflated or brought together the biblical idea of joy with the worldly definition of happiness. In other words, if happiness and joy, or at least how the world thinks about happiness, are synonymous, it becomes dependent on, I don't know, a number of different things, like the progression that we are achieving towards our life goals, or seeing our kids flourishing, or satisfaction in a job or effective weight loss or beating addiction or coming to a place where we're no longer experiencing depression any longer. All of those things are wonderful and beautiful things that are great if we have them. But if, uh, if joy in Christ is linked to success in those areas, there is a problem. Because the gospel in a lot of ways says no, that joy is found in the hope that Jesus really is the conqueror of death and of sin, despite what is going on in your life. That you can actually be losing in a lot of areas in your life and still experience joy in the coming of God's Son. I could spend more time on that, but let's move. Secondly, I think that we, I think that we evade joy because we try and run away from sadness and pretend that it is not there. Enter into what is, I think, one of two, maybe the best Pixar film uh, made, 2015, Inside Out. Hopefully many of you are familiar with it. If not, it's an animated film that follows this young girl. She's 11 years old. Her name is Riley. And she has, for the most part, an uncomplicated, trouble-free life in Minnesota, where she has great friends, has great pizza, she, the sport that she loves. Family life is wonderful, but they have to move to San Francisco uh, for her father's work. 
And once there, she experiences this great sort of disruption to all of the things that she held as beautiful and dear and wonderful. And the film follows actually five characters inside of her head, right? There are personifications of her emotions of joy and sadness and anger and fear and disgust. And one of the things that's interesting is as her life is being disrupted, we, we see these emotions in her head starting to have conflict with one another, particularly between joy and sadness. And uh, sort of in most of the film, joy is trying to silence sadness, trying to find ways to not let sadness have its presence. And the beautiful part about the film is that towards the end, the character of joy comes to this place where she recognizes that without sadness, joy in some ways is incomplete. It doesn't come to full fruition. That joy is always going to lack something if it does not allow sadness to enter into the picture and to have it say. And so you have the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's amazing to think that Jesus is saying that one of the marks of the Christian life is to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. One of my favorite commentators Frederick Dale Bruner writes these amazing words about Jesus' words here in Matthew 5. I want to read to you. Jesus beatifies, or in other words, he lifts up mourning, not moping. He does not counsel the long face. He does, however, bless real sadness, a state that can as easily coexist with an outwardly happy life as do all the other normal contradictions of living. The deepest joy may reside in persons with the deepest sadness. The deepest joy may reside in persons with the deepest sadness. Sadness and joy are not mutually exclusive. They are often cause and effect. And he says that much folk music lives from this strange but strong combination. And Jesus lends his authority to the perception that it is for those whom sadness is deep, that God is real. I love the way he says that. Number three, I think that we evade joy because we have lost, many of us, the importance of an eternal perspective. How can we be joyful? How can we have hope if all we are living for is this fractured world? Paul says in Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And that is a separate sermon. To look at what it actually means to set our mind on things above. But what I do know, and even talking with a friend the other night who's gone through some incredibly difficult things, and we were talking about what it means to set our mind on things above, some of that is to just ruminate and to spend time in prayer and in God's Word and uh, together, church on Sunday mornings, fellowshipping, 
Those are the things that are above. God's Word is from above. And then lastly, I think that we evade the joy that is presented here in Luke 2 that the angel brings to the people of God. I think we evade it because we often don't repent from refusing it. We evade joy, I'm going to say that again, because we often do not repent when we refuse joy that God offers us. Now, I think that this seems like a strange one, but it's, it's actually where I want to end our time. The Bible makes clear that we are to rejoice for a king who has come to save the lost, to break the chains of oppression. A king who has defeated sin and death. And when we refuse to rejoice at that, we are rejecting this precious gift of Jesus that Christmas celebrates. And so when I talk about repenting from that, it's, it's not about, okay, I need to live a happy life. Because remember, we tried to separate the worldly definition of happiness and joy. It's to say that God has given this immensely valuable gift to us. It is a gift of joy. And when we reject that, we say, no, I will not be joyful because my life is bitterness. That is something that we need to take to the Lord and say, Will you forgive me for rejecting the most amazing gift, the most joyful thing that has ever been given to humanity? And so my challenge to you is that you will join me here sort of at the end of 2021 because this is something, maybe it's just a point for myself, but that you will join me with a little repentance at least for often rejecting God's gift of joy that we often replace with bitterness and anger, which sometimes I think feels so good to us. We want to be like Longfellow a year after what he experienced in the loss of his wife. He says, I hear all of these, this Christmas joy from the mouths of children, etc. And I say, not for me any longer. And it takes him a whole another year to come to a place where he can actually pin the amazing poem of Christmas bells that he ends in such a profound way. It's a process for us to get there, and I think it is a, a path of repentance, an embracing of joy. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for everyone, and that joy is found in repentance and faith. It is found in the Son of God who came in the form of an infant and lived in perfect obedience to his Father, and then what? Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now I want you to think about that just for a moment. The ultimate sadness, the ultimate, ultimate breaking, the ultimate shame on the cross where the Son of God has His flesh broken and His relationship teared asunder. And what do we read was experienced at the same time? Joy. It was for joy that was set before Him. So when we struggle 
to be able to kind of hold in tension how we can live in sadness and depression and anger and bitterness and at the same time look towards the joy of Jesus. We only need to look to the cross. A cross that was full of shame and full of sadness for Jesus and yet He moved towards it in joy. What would it look like for us to live in the often crushing sadness and suffering of life and do the same? It is but to look to the cross of Jesus. Finding joy in the midst of sadness is the stuff of the Christian life. It's why Longfellow ends his poem with this this stanza, and I'll just close with it. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. That is the joy, it is the hope of Christmas. It's what we are to live for. Let me pray. Father, I bring deep conviction um, myself into this building that I have refused to bring in the joy that has come from your son taking on flesh in the form of an infant and living a life that I couldn't and then going to a cross where ultimate sadness was on display and yet he did it for joy. Would you take the shape of that and would you place it upon me and upon everyone in this room that we may learn to walk in between the sadness and suffering that sometimes is around us and if not, is around those that we love. And may we look to the cross where ultimate joy also is on display. And may that allow us to experience that deep breath of peace where we can take our weariness and give it to Jesus. Would you help us do that this morning? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.